from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And you have to show that the drug outperforms chemotherapy and patients do derive meaningful survival benefit. Now that's called a phase three study. And if the study actually is, uh, shows that this drug is successful in doing that, that's when the FDA would grant the drug full approval. And one week uh, after starting the drug, we were able to cut our pain medication in half, and then the spot that we were looking at on the skin had literally disappeared. And then we really knew we were onto something with the drug. And just one week in, they were able to cut your pain medication. Did yes. this just feel like a miracle? It did. I'm Sarah Fedsky. After Cindy Morris was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer in 2016, she turned to all the standard treatments. That included rounds of radiation and chemotherapy, as well as surgery to remove a brain tumor. The treatments paralyzed the Maryland Heights residents' vocal cords. They left her fatigued and underweight, but the tumors kept returning. Then, in 2019, Washington University became one of the first sites to study a new drug. It's called Satoraceeb, and it has changed Cindy's life. And she joins us today to tell us more. Cindy Morris, welcome. Hello. And we're also joined today by Dr. Siddhartha Deverakonda. He's a medical oncologist and assistant professor of medicine at Washington University School of Medicine and also Cindy's doctor. So, Dr. Deverakonda, welcome. Thanks for having me. Cindy, let's start with you. Take us back to when you were first diagnosed with cancer. What led you to get tested in the first place? Um, I had found a lymph node in my neck that was swollen. And that was, was it? That was it, basically. And then it ended up that you had very serious, very um, cancer in a lot of different places. This was in your lungs, your lymph nodes, your adrenal glands, your spleen. Did you end up in pain? Well, eventually I was in a lot of pain. Um, but I did standard treatment, which was chemotherapy. And so that, I'm sure, added to the pain. Um, actually, it shrunk my tumors quite a bit in the very beginning. Okay, so it was shrinking your tumors. And uh, Dr. DeVarakonda, if you can hop in here, then what was happening with Cindy's course of treatment? So this is not unusual in patients with lung cancer where, uh, you know, you often go in with one symptom and then you incidentally end up getting diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. The vast majority of our patients actually do end up getting diagnosed with lung cancer when it's fairly advanced. Hmm. So we often uh, use treatments such as chemotherapy that shrink cancers, and when they do that, they prolong life meaningfully. But the problem with, with these treatments is that at some point they do drop, stop working because the cancer cells eventually become resistant to treatments. And so that was happening in Cindy's and, case. And that is exactly what was happening to Cindy at the time when we resorted to other lines of treatment. And all of these treatments, they do work. And after a point of time, once again, the same problem pops up. They become resistant to treatment. So were you worried about Cindy's case, that this was somebody who could be in, in some pretty serious trouble? That, that is truly the case. So, you know, in the beginning when chemotherapy was working, it's encouraging. And we got a good uh, several months from the chemotherapy. But when the treatment, uh, you know, when Cindy was starting to show signs of the treatment beginning to stop working, that's when we started getting anxious. And it sounds like that happened pretty fast. It was just within a couple months that this cancer was outpacing the treatment. With the chemotherapy, I do uh, think we did get a, we, we did, we did get a 
few, uh, I would say a couple of years from it. But then eventually uh, we had to resort to other treatments. And then the problem was that these did not work in a uh, durable manner. So Cindy, were you getting worried that this lung cancer was going to beat you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were days that I really felt defeated. Um, But I tried to keep a positive attitude, you know, and uh, I was willing to try anything. (laughs) And that leads us to what we're going to talk about here, which is where this story that got pretty dark, there was a ray of light here. And this new drug, tell us about this new drug. So uh, we were quite excited about the trial to begin with. So to kind of give you a very quick background, all cancer cells have something that keeps them clicking, right? If you if you can, if you think of an analogy where a cancer cell is a car that's going fast on an interstate, we, you have a few genetic changes or chemical changes that you can compare to the gas pedal that keeps the cancer cell going, right? We call those driver genetic changes within a cancer cell. So this particular drug was a drug that was very selective to the driver change in Cindy's tumor. So the purpose of this drug was to go in and jam the gas pedal. And if you really think about it from a scientific perspective, we were quite excited about it because this genetic change is something that uh, Cindy's tumor was addicted to, and now we have a drug that's capable of blocking it. So we were quite hopeful that the drug would work. But it was a brand new drug. We just didn't know if it would deliver on the promise or not. So this is a brand new drug. It was still in this clinical trial stage. Uh, WashU was fairly unusual in even having access to it at that point? So we do have, uh, at any given point of time, a lot of clinical trials uh, to uh, offer to our patients with lung cancer. And they're all at different stages. Some drugs have already been tested previously in human beings, and they have some safety established. But drugs such as these, especially those that go after the kind of genetic change that Cindy has, they happen once uh, a decade. So we were quite excited about this. So this was good timing for you. And, And you said you were up for anything. If there was anything your doctor would have recommended, you would have gone with it. Absolutely. And did you have any trepidation going into this trial that this could make things worse? No. Not at all? No. Uh, she seems to have a really brave attitude here. Do you find this in many patients that they're willing to trust you to that extent? Uh, for the most part, yes, and we are fortunate for that, that our patients uh, do trust us. And Cindy, of course, is one of those, uh, you know, she has a warrior spirit. <laughs> so she was uh, she was like, where do I sign? Where do I get started? And, uh, you know, fortunately, here we are two years out. And so tell us what happened then as, as Cindy started taking this. Did you notice any change, Cindy, um, in the first couple weeks, first month? Oh, yes, absolutely. I had a lesion on my abdomen that just disappeared. And is this, this is something that you might expect if, if a good result is happening from a trial like this? Right, because when Cindy started the clinical trial, we were actually quite concerned about her. She was requiring a lot of pain medication. She was declining pretty quickly. And most of the treatments outside the realm of a clinical trial that were available for her had a very low chance of working, less than 5% if I have to put a number on it. So we, uh, pr- it was pretty much a uh, last-ditch attempt, honestly, at that point. Uh, and that and we were fortunate to have the drug available. And one week uh, after starting the drug, we were able to cut her pain medication in half, and then the spot that we were looking at on the skin had literally disappeared. And then we really knew we were onto something with the drug. And just one week in, they were able to cut your pain medication. Did this just feel like a miracle? It did, it did. I started getting more energy. I started eating, got my appetite back. I actually became myself all over again. 
That's, I mean, these are remarkably quick results. So, uh, Dr. DeVaraconda, tell us about this drug. Um, I understand that this is, it's, it wouldn't have even been possible six years ago. What are some of the breakthroughs in genetic research that got us to the point that this drug could come along? As a matter of fact, this particular genetic change, the fact that it causes lung cancer is perhaps some of the oldest knowledge we have in the realm of cancer, right? So KRAS, the gene that this drug goes after, KRAS, is something that we have uh, known to be altered in cancer for almost five to six decades now. The problem is that we've never been able to develop a drug that hits this protein to block it in a cancer cell. So that by itself is something that we're all pretty excited about. But there are a bunch of these proteins that cancer cells, KRAS is not the only one that gets altered in cancer. There are a few other proteins, you know, the driver genetic changes that we were talking about that get altered in cancer. And we have over the past uh, 20 to 30 years developed drugs that are capable of jamming this particular protein. The reason this drug becomes a lot more important, especially in the context of lung cancer, is that if you look at all of the genetic changes that happen in lung cancer, this is by far the most common one that we see. So the percentage of patients that the drug is likely to benefit is probably, I would say, 20 to 20% of the patients that we see. 20% of, of the lung cancer patients that you see there. Give us a sense. How many is that? Thousands of Americans? Hundreds of thousands of Americans? So if you do a quick back-of-the-envelope calculation, in a given year, we anticipate about 200,000 patients uh, end up getting diagnosed with lung cancer. Now, about 50 to 60% of these will have advanced lung cancer or probably metastatic disease at presentation. And about half of them, right, so half of 200,000 and half of that, about 50,000 patients will uh, have adenocarcinoma, a type of lung cancer that often shows these genetic changes. So about 20 to 30% of them, if they do end up having this genetic change, we're talking about approximately 20 to 30,000 Americans every year. That's amazing. We're talking today to Dr. Siddhartha Deverakonda. He's a medical oncologist and assistant professor of medicine at Washington University School of Medicine. And his patient is Cindy Morris, who's here with us today, uh, lives in Maryland Heights, and just had a remarkable reaction to this new lung cancer drug in a clinical trial. Uh, now, uh, doctor, you had mentioned that some of these other treatments that Cindy had tried, they worked initially, but then the cancer figured them out. Uh, so to speak. So were you worried with this new drug that it had these great results right away that this might just be beginner's luck this time too? So this is often the case with almost all cancer medications we use. Now, there are other patients who have received the same medication and the pill did stop working in some of them, right? If you look at the clinical trial, the average duration of time for which the pill worked, those who have seen a response is about somewhere between nine months to one year, right? So that's the duration of time for which the drug is able to control the cancer, and eventually the cancer cells figure out a way to escape that treatment. Now, what treatment after that? That's where the science is now headed. So we are now trying to come up with combinations where we either use this particular drug in combination with something else that can combat that resistance. And the field is obviously still in its infancy. We first have to figure out what are the different routes that the cancer cell can possibly co-opt to escape the treatment. But at this point, you feel maybe a step ahead of it. So now, uh, like I said, science is advancing. This is where all the advances in uh, technology that you have had over the past several years really come to your rescue because now, uh, with prior drugs similar to this that we have had for the last 20 to 30 years, we kind of have a sense of how these drugs escape treatment. So there's actually a lot of clinical trials that are currently underway already using this drug in combination with 
possible mechanisms through which it can escape this particular treatment. And um, so for Cindy, um, she's obviously showed great results to this. Are you seeing this with other patients in the same trial here through your work? That is, uh, that is correct. So once again, if you uh, look at the most recent data that was presented at the uh, American uh, Society for Clinical Oncology meeting that we had in Chicago, and this paper's already been published in one of our top journals, uh, about 126 patients were enrolled to the study, and uh, good shrinkage beyond 30%, we call it a response, was seen in somewhere between 30 to 40% of our patients. And uh, some level of disease control, which is either shrinkage or holding the tumor in its place without growing, we call that stable disease, a combination of that was seen in nearly 80% of our patients. So that's that's quite remarkable. That is quite remarkable. And one of the interesting things to me about this trial was that there wasn't a placebo group in this trial. Why is that? So uh, th- there is, so for it, for any drug that's in development, the first kind of study that we do is called a phase one study, where you first try to determine that the drug is safe for use. And the phase one study for this particular drug was con- was done last year. The data looked promising, and that's what led to a phase two study, which is what we're talking now, and led to the FDA approval. So unlike a phase one study where you look at safety, a phase two study looks at the efficacy of the drug. So you let's say you give it to 100 patients, you really want to find out what percentage of patients uh, is the drug active in, right? So if you look at some of the numbers I was talking about, it shrinks tumors 30 to 40% of the time, it holds it it, it, it offers disease control 80% of the time. Now, those numbers look really promising, promising enough that the FDA approved the drug, but with a condition. Now you have to take this drug and compare it to a placebo if there is no other matching treatment, or you have to compare it to some other chemotherapy, which is what patients like Cindy would have gotten at that particular juncture. And you have to show that the drug outperforms chemotherapy, and patients do derive meaningful survival benefit. Now, that's called a phase three study. And if the study actually is, uh, shows that this drug is successful in doing that, that's when the FDA would grant the drug full approval. So now is when the placebo period begins. A, a placebo is, uh, you know, sometimes you use a placebo, but in, in a context like this where patients are eligible for receiving some other form of chemotherapy, uh, that could be the control arm too. So you oh, have okay. to either beat uh, something that's already a standard of care. If that doesn't exist in a meaningful way, then you end up using a placebo. So, Cindy, I want to bring this back to you and, and how this has changed your life. When was it that you began taking this uh, satorasib? I believe it was February of 2019. Okay. So you've had now more than two years on it. How has your life changed since that point? Oh, I mean, I'm back to my regular life. I go, I take care of my home. I grocery shop. I go, I travel. I just got back from Alaska. Alaska? I was there for two weeks. Um, I mean, I live life every day. And in Alaska, you were able to do everything you'd want to do on an Alaskan vacation. Absolutely. Is there anything you still struggle with at this point? No, there isn't. I mean, I can go for walks. I can, you know, play with my dog, go on trips, spend time with my family. I do everything a normal person would be doing. I understand this trip to Alaska, this was actually a mission trip. Is that right? You were there to help other people? I was there to help with a, a retreat we built onto a cabin that people are going to be staying in. That's amazing. I, I feel like a lot of people, after they had had just almost, you know, at the edge of, of looking at the end of their life and coming back, they might be like, it's me time. It's, it's time for me to go treat myself. You're there helping other people. What, what led you to want to do that? 
Well, it's kind of like taking the medication. If it can help other people, I'm more than willing to do it. I mean, basically that's how I want to live my life and actually be remembered. I think that's a good legacy, is helping other people. Do you feel like maybe that's why you've been given this extra time? That, you know, you're too valuable. We need you here. I hope that is. Hearing Cindy's attitude here, this is just remarkable. I mean, is this common um, within the patients, cancer patients you deal with? Yes, and uh, we learn a lot from our patients, and it's humbling to uh, see them do well. It's uh, heartbreaking sometimes to see them struggle, right? And, you know, we, we wish every patient did as well as uh, Cindy does. Uh, and like I said, we are thankful to all the patients for the uh, for their graciousness, for their willingness to participate in research studies, because if not for that, there is no moving the field forward. Yeah, I mean, Cindy, do you ever think about the road not taken if you had been too cautious and didn't want to jump into this trial where you might be today? Not here. Yeah, you would not be here on St. Louis on the Air talking about this story. No, I would not. I guess maybe there's a lesson there for all of us that, that maybe if you have a trusted doctor and that person knows what they're doing, it's, it's safe to jump. You know, I, I thank Cindy for her uh, confidence in, in us. But at the same time, I would also like to point out that clinical trials obviously are not just uh, irresponsible experiments, right? So there's a lot that goes into the design of a clinical trial. These drugs are, uh, there are ethical committees that look at the trial design, make sure that it's in the patient's best interest. Physicians who uh, put a study forward for a patient want the, want the absolute best for their patients, right? And you want to make sure that the science is solid. Like, for instance, at Washington University, we make sure that the clinical trials we open are the ones that we feel confident about. Mm. We feel like this is, a, this is a kind of drug that moves the field forward. Uh, so I, I honestly think that it's 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 obviously um, it creates a lot of anxiety to try the untested waters, but still, uh, there's a lot that goes uh, that we don't really understand about these clinical trials in the background to make sure that they're as safe as possible and they are uh, meant to help patients. Well, we're excited about this field moving forward, and it's so great to hear about Cindy's success with this. So Dr. Siddhartha Devarakonda, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And uh, the doctor is a medical oncologist and assistant professor of medicine at Washington University School of Medicine. And Cindy Morris, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.